baby. We are going to get into the T-H-I-C-C-C-C of it. And for those of you who are not um, hip enough to know, that's the thick of it. And we are here today with Scott DeClaire. Welcome to the Hacker Noon Podcast, Scott. Thank you very much for joining. What's going on? What's going on? Thanks for bringing me on. I appreciate it. podcast and of course this is your host amy tom thank you for joining so today i wanted to bring scott on the podcast to chat a little bit more about one of the stories that he wrote for hacker noon for those of you who are not yet familiar we are running a meet the writer series where we want to hear from you the writer the contributor at hacker noon on your background on why you write on what you write about and so let's get into it scott the thick of it tell me how long have you been writing for Oh, I've been writing for a long time, not always newsletters and blogs, but I've been in sales um, and marketing. So I don't know, 10, 10 plus years, <laughs> some iteration of writing. Now, not all of that was for my own brand, obviously understanding how to write really good copy to get emails open, to get landing pages to convert was something that I was always focused on. And then something that I always did to build my own brand was to create website, blog, contribute. So that's been about four years now where I've been writing for myself. So putting out sales and marketing, entrepreneurship, startup blog pieces on my own site. I started a newsletter speaking about startup, basically growth stories and breaking down case studies of startups and how they achieved what they've achieved. So yeah, about four years now. Okay, cool. And one of the things that I think is really interesting about writing and this Meet the Writer series is like, I want to know why you write. So I write because I'm trying to find the best possible way to communicate and build an audience around what I care about. So I care about sales, marketing, startups, entrepreneurship. That's been my core, what I've worked in, what I've worked around in my professional career, my nine to five. So if I want to build a brand around myself. I have to think of a medium that communicates what I know. And there was two, there was writing blogs or newsletters or podcasting and creating thought leadership content through audio and video. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And uh, let's talk about some of the stuff that you write for. So on Hacker Noon, at least, you've got mm -hmm. about 20 articles, 20 stories that you've written. Which one was your favorite? Which one was, which one was my favorite? I enjoyed the one about Mike Bloomberg and how he took his, basically so, sold the idea of the Bloomberg terminal and built the Bloomberg terminal and took that to market. I thought it was an interesting story that I don't think is a traditional startup story. And obviously mm. people know him now as a billionaire and not and the presidential candidate, Mike Bloomberg, and not like entrepreneur, Mike Bloomberg. Yeah. So I thought that was an interesting story. Obviously, every story that I write and every case study that I break down, I also, I, I like the story because it's like a startup success story, really. Um, mm -hmm. So it's hard to pinpoint one because there's definitely learnings in every single one that an entrepreneur who's just starting out could learn from. Uh, everything from their sales strategy, marketing strategy, growth strategy, struggles they've encountered along the way. But I thought the Mike Bloomberg one was really cool. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love how you break down the strategy and the like founder stories of these people and what made them successful. One of the articles that I remember 
editing for you was the only was that you one. Yes, yeah. of course. I edit all of the articles, <laughs> the OnlyFans line, which was so interesting because coming back around to when the OnlyFans scandal happened, I was like, yeah. oh, I remember Scott's article about how OnlyFans got started and how the founder was like, oh, no, now we need to like take off the adult content from the site. So that because, happened right yeah. after I wrote that yes. article. And I was and like, I was like the whole what? That doesn't make about... any sense because his whole story no. is about like yeah. how he wanted to make a platform for adult content. So I was like, what? So he tried that multiple times and failed and just combined all his entrepreneurial lessons into the final iteration, which was OnlyFans. But that was really what allowed him to succeed. It was that he was basically serving an underserved market. And then, but you saw the reaction. So I released this article because I did the research and, and then wrote this article out. And then just, I, it was like two weeks later when the OnlyFans said that they were no longer allowing like adult yes. content on the platform and like global backlash. Like mm -hmm. everybody was like, this yes. is the dumbest decision you could ever make because that's half the reason why he was successful. It was serving yes. an underserved market. And then all of a sudden he just became like another Patreon. Yep. And then he yeah. was like, oh, ha, JK, yeah. we are actually going to allow adult content on the site still. And then I was like, wow, could have seen that one from a mile away because Scott yep. Declare's article told me. Yes, that I think I appreciate it. you're very kind. I'm sure a lot of people could have seen that from a mile away, even if they didn't read the <laughs> article. But yeah, you, listen, if you develop that loyal customer base like OnlyFans did, it's pretty dumb to to just pivot completely, especially because I, I can't remember the exact number, but it was some, it's something like 90 plus percent of the creators on OnlyFans are adult content. Mm -hmm, yeah. So imagine this is like to, to draw the analogy or to put it in perspective, this is like when Mark Zuckerberg was starting Facebook, it was just targeted towards like higher education, right? All the colleges. So that's like saying in the first six months of Facebook, no more college students are allowed on Facebook. Like quite literally, mm -hmm. that's, this, that's yeah. the same thing that he was doing. So it's exactly. as a founder, that's And a then when you built that brand takeaway. so strongly yeah. too, it's like, you can't pivot off of that. No, you, you can't, can't pivot to target other creators after your OnlyFans. Excuse me, that's not a thing. <laughs> no, I think that was still. I think that I think yeah. founders also have to appreciate like where they came from and what made them who they are today, and, and keep serving that community. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So, how do you decide what startup story you're gonna? Yeah. So, I really just find companies that I like, companies that I found interesting, companies that I've heard about in the news, companies. Um, also, to be quite honest, companies that have information about them out there. Of course, like it's easy to it's easy to say, okay, I want to break down Snowflake's IPO or a Tinder or OnlyFans, but it's because they have a lot of information out there. So what I do is I basically combine a founder origin story with my background as a sales and marketing person, understand what that founder or that person did to get to where they are today and try and break down those lessons. Usually it's from like the lens of a sales and marketing perspective, but realistically, like most of the companies that I do case studies on, like all that information is already out there. Like when a company IPOs, when a company is OnlyFans, when a company is Tinder, when a company is, well, if the company is Bloomberg and Bloomberg Terminal, there's a lot of interviews. There's a lot of information out there. A lot of it is just finding out information picking out the relevant points and then adding my context and my lens onto it so that somebody who is like an entrepreneur trying to grow a business can learn from somebody who's done it before. And that's what I really try and teach over when I do these studies. Mm -hmm.
Yeah. One of the things that you mentioned in your article, your Meet the Writer article, was about how much time it takes you to write a piece, which I think that a lot of people don't really realize, like, how much time and effort goes into writing content. So can you talk more about that? Yeah, sure. So, I, so I'm very specific about when I like to write, because if I don't time block time off to write, it could take longer. Than, so I, I think I put about six hours to, to write an actual piece. If I'm not focused on it, if I'm not focused, and I do this on Sunday usually, when I time block some time to actually do the research and then write out a piece. If I don't focus, it can take much longer than that. But yeah. keep in mind what I am researching, this is, so say six hours for, I don't know, about like 700-ish words. And I'm also coming from an area of expertise. So I the strategy component where I break down like the strategy I know that like the back of my hand already because I've already executed the strategy so I can read through the lines as to what this founder did at this stage to attract more customers or grow or go into different markets or to sell a product, take a product to market or whatever. I already can see through that. So that doesn't take a lot of effort, but a lot of it is just research, finding the right information, compiling sources, double checking that the information that's out there is real, that it's, that this is all accurate. And then honestly, it's just like getting into some sort of flow state cutting out all the distractions and actually just writing for about three, four hours, doing a couple rounds of edits. But this is, I'm not a trained writer by any means. This is just my process because I've learned what works for me. I cannot write during the week because even though I think I can write, when I look at that piece, like the next day, it's horrible. It's full of like, mm. it's, it's full of spelling grammar. Some of the sentences uh, don't quite make sense. So I need to be really isolated to write properly and to write good stuff and to make sure that it's valuable too, because it's not just, it's not just writing things that are already out in the world. It's about providing some insight and some context that somebody can learn from what someone else has done. And I think that for me takes a lot of focus. I've tried to write like after I'm done work for the day, I'll sit down and write while I'm in front of the TV watching Netflix it's all garbage out at that point. So that's why I try and time block on my weekend to get as much mm. done as possible. Okay. And you have a nine to five outside of your content engine, right? Yes, I do. Yes. So okay. do you want me to go into that? Yes. <laughs> okay, cool. So I still run a sales and marketing team. So for the past two and a half of my whole career, I started off in sales, moved into sales leadership, moved into sales and marketing leadership for the past two and a half years. I have basically acted as CRO for an early stage startup. We were just acquired about a month ago. We were doing SaaS products for broadcast. We were selling anything from audience engagement when you're like running a, say for example, American Idols on TV, and they're asking you to vote on your favorite singer. That would be our software running behind the scenes. We brought that to market and then we were acquired. I basically do everything from jumping on calls to building a strategy, to hiring and onboarding a sales team, to hiring and onboarding marketing team. And now since they've been acquired, I basically act as leader of a small little innovation unit within Grass Valley, meaning that I still have my team. Of like I have my team of developers. I have my small little sales team, but since we're required now, um, we have a whole bunch more resources. I, any new products that come out of my little development team, I'm responsible for training the larger Grass Valley sales force on our products, building out a take to market strategy, helping find product market fit for our products. Mm -hmm. And then I, my whole, I have a revenue bucket for, for my products that I'm responsible for. So that's my okay. nine to five. Yeah. Okay, so that kind of career path seems like it perfectly set you up to run the Success Stories podcast. Was that on purpose or did that happen accidentally? <laughs> yeah, it, it, no, no. So 
What do you, so well, I, well, I started it on purpose. As, <laughs> as it, I, start, I definitely started on purpose. I don't think the, I don't think the success that I've seen with it was on purpose, but I didn't really know what I was doing when I first started. But like most things that I've done for my own brand, like writing, I have a newsletter that I put out. I have the podcast that you just uh, spoke about. All that was just done knowing that I needed to have those things and I wanted to communicate and build audiences. And that's the, that in my mind was the best way to build those audiences. So I knew that if I wanted to build a brand around myself, meaning that I wanted to be invited to speak on sales and marketing things, I wanted to jump on podcasts like this. I knew that I had to do that by creating assets that other people would consume that would get to know me and build communities like with those assets. So you're becoming was a thought one. leader on the subject. Yeah, exactly. And How do you do that? Yeah. How okay. do you do that? You have to start a podcast. You create content that, you know, gives you a voice that allows people to consume who you are and what you know. And then over time, you build your little tribe of people that really like your message and what you put out there. So yeah, started it full well, knowing that was something that I could use to build my own brand. And yeah, mm -hmm. that was purposeful. Yeah. So you've got your nine to five, you've got your podcast, you've got your writing. Mm -hmm. Do you sleep? Do you Not often. I should more. <laughs> But not often. But now it's a good point because if you're going to start something, um, you have to have a you have to have a process for it to be successful. Yeah, there's been times where it's I wake up at six and I'm working till five or six, and then I'm doing side hustle stuff till nine. And I don't have kids yet, so that's going to be an issue when that happens. But I think that part of what I've learned over the past two and a half years. So I started this personal brand stuff. Around the same time, I was hired on with Excitem, the company that I was speaking about earlier that was just acquired by Grassbound. I started that. And when I first started, it was just an absolute shit show. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to record a podcast and produce a podcast and upload it without spending a billion hours on it. I didn't know how to write a newsletter every single week. I missed weeks. I, mi I missed a lot. And I was just trying to figure a process. So you learn different tools. You learn different workflows. Now I've hired people to help out with the show. So I now I have somebody who helps with all the editing, all the production of the show. Um, that was me day one. For me, it was all about building a process that allowed me to do it. So time blocking time to create the assets, time blocking time to post and distribute. I spoke about the fact that I set aside time on Sunday to actually write. That wasn't always the case. And that's mm -hmm. why I've only now been able to put out about one piece per week one significant piece per week after I've blocked off that time on Sunday to just focus on writing. And then usually after that period of writing, that's when I'll actually do my podcast editing review, what my editor sent me, and then set up like the, the show notes and the social copy and the emails for the week. So I work quite a bit, but it's gotten better and it's not sporadic. And I really hold myself accountable to that. So if I'm not going to, if I don't block off that time on a Sunday, there's a good chance that my week would be a little bit chaotic because then I would be trying to keep up and, you know, still maintain that same posting schedule, the same content schedule that I would before. But for me, it's all about setting up a process that is, yeah, a process that, you know, works with my schedule. And if you have that process set up, then all of a sudden, all this extra side hustle stuff, all this content creation stuff isn't as, isn't as daunting, mm -hmm. but I think people just do it off the cuff and they just try and post a piece here and do a podcast and don't really have a plan for, okay, so if I record on Wednesday, when am I sending this to my editor or when am I blocking off two to three hours to edit this show? How long do I want to spend posting this show? And you should have everything like that mapped out already so yeah. that when you do okay. create this, this, cause you do it yourself. I do. 
but like yeah. even hearing you describe it uh, is overwhelming. It is. So well, I'll tell how you do you right not now, get burned out with this like strict I, schedule? Because I see, you know what? The reason why I don't get burnt out is because I see progress. Mm. I know that sounds so cliche, but I don't get burnt out because I see every single week more subscribers, more followers, more downloads. And I see that incremental growth. And I'm like, if I just maintain this, I'm going to get to where I want to be. If I maintain this, I'm going to get X amount of followers and I'm going to be able to charge speaking fees when I go speak mm -hmm. at conferences. If I, if I get X amount of subscribers per day on my newsletter, I'm going to start being able to charge X amount of dollars for a sponsorship. Same goes with the podcast. I see the progress and it's going in the right direction. And that to me is exciting. Yeah. Because that's where I want to go. I, yeah. I love doing this stuff. So as long as it's moving, it's the same thing as when you're starting a company. If you start yeah. a company and you have zero, you know, monthly active users, but then week, week one, you have five. And then week two, you have 10. And you can see that you're trending in the right direction. Maybe there's things you can do to tweak the growth so that you go a little bit quicker. But ultimately, that if you just last for five years, you're going to be able to sell this company for X million dollars because you're going to eventually hit that that critical, that critical, that critical point where you have X amount of monthly active users, X amount of MRR. And as long as you're trending in the right direction, I think that's really motivating. I think what happens is people start something and when you start anything, that thing is going to feel like you're doing that thing into a void when you're mm. sending your newsletter, when yeah. you're, when you're putting out your podcast, when you're writing and you're pitching different publications like for the first three months, six months, it's going to feel like nobody cares about you at all. It doesn't matter yeah. which platform, what you're doing, how great your content is, how great a writer you are, how great an interview, uh, interviewer you are. It's going to feel like nobody cares. But then yeah. once you get over that hump and once people start to care, you have this flywheel of activity that's going to start coming your way. And I think that's probably the most, I'm like getting like shivers, like thinking about it, but it's like the yeah. most exciting thing. And like you ask, how do you not get burnt out? because you love doing it and you see the problem you ought to you, like, yeah, some weeks. Yeah, for sure. Some weeks I'm like tired and I still miss, like uh, sometimes I don't send a newsletter or sometimes I don't public publish a pod. I try and publish podcasts on Sunday and Wednesday. Sometimes I don't publish it because just like life happened and it was like end of like Q3 and I had to bring in some, bring in some deals for like my actual nine to five. And like, I was working overtime for work. I didn't have a chance to write or I didn't have a chance to record or whatever, Like it happens. But as long as you don't let yourself fall off in this content creator world in this, mm -hmm. then you're going to eventually end up in the right spot. I, I always challenge people. If you want to start a side hustle, I don't care if it's content creation. I don't care if it's writing. I don't care if it's podcasting, or if you want to start like a little side business, do it for three years. And then if you haven't found some traction after three years, then I'd say you can be like, okay, fine. Fine. Maybe Three this wasn't years a fit. Is so long to do something without traction. I would, I don't think that would take that long, but I think that you should think like that because I think it'll mm -hmm. take about six months. Yeah. But I think that people think after three months, forget this. I have too yeah. much stuff on my plate. You know how many podcasts there are? Wow. You know okay. Are Call that... me out. Oh my God. No, not you, not you, not <laughs> you, but you know how many podcasts there are in the world that have 10 episodes recorded and that's yeah. it. Okay. Like a lot. Okay, excellent. A I lot. made it more than 10 episodes for my personal podcast. These are not hard facts. I'm not pulling these data points from everywhere, but I'm sure if you looked it up, I wouldn't be so far from the tree. Yeah, a yeah, lot yeah. of people just give up. How many people do you see are posting? 
And then all of a sudden they don't post for six months. Mm -hmm. They yeah. just give up. Yep. I started my, I started a podcast in the pandemic because I was bored and I needed something to do. And I was like, cool, let's do podcasting. Everyone else is doing it. Why not? And I saw probably four or five friends who also started podcasts who I beat out like in the long run just kept going like people started dropping off and I was like yeah I'm still going I got this yeah. because yeah it's the consistency too mm -hmm. it's all about the consistency and that's what you have to well that's what it takes to be successful in anything but most people just don't want to put in the effort and and continue to put in the effort again and again until they see mm -hmm. those results Yes, but as a content creator, do you not get tired when you have made a piece of content, it gets consumed for 30 minutes, and then you got to do it again? A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's a, I think it would be a lying if you said that you didn't sometimes get a little bit disappointed if the thing that you worked so hard to create didn't hit. Now, I think that you have to focus less on that and more on the long term. I really just believe you just can't focus on the misses. The one content um, piece. It's gonna it's be, gonna be more than one. Okay. It's gonna be yeah. more I than mean, one that's gonna I mean, miss. You, you can't focus on the result of one piece. You have to focus on your results overall, is what you're saying. Correct. Correct. Okay. Yeah. I think that right. that's the only way to do it. Because if you do, if you can optimize, so if you can optimize in the micro, you can optimize in the piece by piece and you can test different things and you can test how you structure an article. You can test how long you want your article. You can test which topics you discuss. And maybe you look for micro improvements, but also like realistically, there's other factors that you'll never be aware of that could impact whether or not your article hits. Like maybe you just have the right amount of keywords in it and Google picks it up. And then all of a sudden that's going to draw some traction, even though the actual content was not much greater than what you put out last week. But I think that you can try and test and optimize, but realistically, you look at trends, you look, you focus on the macro, you look at trends, you look at long-term growth. And if you're trending in the right direction, if you're getting on an article, more people reading it or on Hacker Noon, liking it or whatever week over week, or if you're looking at the traffic that's hitting your website, if you're just regular blogging and you see the traffic picking up month over month, I think that's indication that you're trending in the right direction. And I think that's what people have to look for versus okay, I put out an article or I, or I tweeted something and it got zero traction. I also think that people should always be not only just creating, but I also think people should be looking to people who have created before for clues as to what good looks like. I, I don't believe that you have to reinvent the wheel. Like I, I speak about not focusing on the micro, focus on the macro, focus on long-term trends, but I also look for people who have done that thing before. So I look for people who I like their newsletter. I look for people who I like their podcast. I look for people that have great Twitter followings, great Instagram followings. And I just figure out what they do well and model my stuff after them. And I provide my own lens and I talk about my own stuff. But realistically for newsletters, I love the first 1000 and I love Atomic Habits by James Clear. I think those are great newsletters. For podcasts, I look at a good podcast that used to be similar to what I do was like London Real. Now he's more focused on crypto and stuff like that. But he was for a long time just interviewing incredible people. Another podcast would be like a Tim Ferriss is a great business type interview podcast. Um, for every single social platform, I have somebody that I look to on how to create great content. So on Twitter, I look at Matthew Kobach or Jack Butcher. Instagram, I look at Chris Doe. I'm trying to think what else. 
YouTube, there's a, it's actually YouTube's tough for business content, to be quite honest, but I just look right. at, yeah, YouTube's actually very tough for business content, but I, oh, what's his name? I can't remember his name. He does a whole bunch of SaaS video content and I had him on my show and I'm blanking on his name now, which is horrible. I'll find it and I'll, I'll send you links notes. to all these, put it in the show notes, <laughs> <laughs> but you find like, you find your person on every platform that you're trying to figure out how to optimize your content on that platform and look at how they've created content because they're the experts and and they're um, in that particular platform. And then you Mm -hmm. just find a way to take your content and to convert it into that style or that Mm -hmm. medium. Yeah. That's really all there is to it. And I just keep, that's, I focus when I want to consume content, I'm looking for inspiration for me versus just mindlessly consuming. And then outside of that, I just focus on creating and creating as much as I possibly can. Because even if you don't have someone to model content creation after, even if you're, for example, creating on TikTok and you don't have like a great business person on TikTok before, because it's a newer, newer platform and you're just trying to learn it yourself and you don't have anyone to look to, to help learn from, then I would say just start creating and 50 pieces later, your content will be better than when you first started. I don't know how, but it will be. It just will be. Mm -hmm. Anyways. Where is the coolest place that your writing and personal brand has gotten you? That's interesting. The coolest opportunity that I never actually took on was actually a trip to keynote at like a sales and marketing and tech conference in Morocco, which was just before COVID. I never actually went because it was COVID was just starting. Yeah. That would be (laughs) so That was really cool. Yeah. Ooh, Morocco. Fun. Yeah. Outside of that, I've probably done, I'm sure, 50 to 60 different like talks, podcasts in the past year. Are you nervous about public speaking? No, because I did it before. I did it before COVID. It's a little bit, it's a little bit weird going out again after COVID when you've been like doing just Zoom Mm-hmm. conferences and zoom uh zoom speaking things for the past you know two years but i think i i still like the in-person because i think there's an energy to it that you can't replicate virtually growing up i was very nervous about it but i, I don't think that i see that's another thing too i just don't afford myself the opportunity to think about what to i'm nervous, nervous about something okay. something that just that's- jump like headfirst into stuff and <laughs> figure it out as i go but that's what i think that's what you have to be like this yeah. is not just a content creator Thing. This is like a life lesson. Yeah. You're always going to be nervous about things you've never done before. Yeah. You just got to do it. For sure. Except when you're public speaking, then everyone sees you doing it. <laughs> yes. No, I, you're not wrong. But I, if you are that nervous, then just don't wing it. Then just prep. Yes, that's true. What is I the largest that audience that you've publicly spoken to in person? Okay. Yep. So not yep. it's not like a stadium. It was uh, it was at a university. It was a startup club at a university. And actually, I think at Laura mine University. was about the same, but I yeah. really tanked it. It was real really, really, yeah. I, I did didn't once. tank it. <laughs> real bad. It was real bad. <laughs> no, I didn't tank it. I was a little nervous, but also I've only ever done things that I I know and I love talking about. So even now, when you ask me questions, I just start going off about stuff because I get so amped up about it. If I'm talking about stuff that I truly love, like I forget that I'm in a room with a whole bunch of people and just start talking like the same conversation. If you approach me at a coffee shop and started to ask me about sales and marketing and startups and whatnot, or content creation or whatever, 
I'd be talking to you the same way I'd be talking to a room, a room of 300 people or, or a thousand people or, or more, just because I get so excited about some of the stuff that I do talk about. Yeah. But. I, maybe it's also practice makes perfect because um, yes, I am sure. really also excited about things, but I also cannot speak to 300 people. So <laughs> it's perfect. I think practice for sure. I think if you do get nervous, and this is something that I, I have to do more of in terms of public speaking engagements, find a way to categorize and list out that sequence of thoughts that you're going to bring to the table and present to people. Because I also know that if this is, I'm not a public speaking expert by any means, but I do know that if you do get excited about stuff, it's almost like you just try and tell everything all at once. And for you, it makes sense because you know how all those pieces connect in your head, but to actually teach someone something mm -hmm. is very different than you just blabbing about it and being all excited about it. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something that I like, again, I'm not like a professional public speaker, but I think that's something that would really help is just to like list, list out your points at least ahead of time. So at least you have a flow to what you're yes. speaking about so that you can stay on track and you don't forget things and have to double back and say, and if you forget something and you didn't provide context for a point, I think that's important as well. But like you said, practice makes perfect. And if you prep a yeah. little bit, it goes a long way. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure that you're definitely a professional public speaker. If you have, <laughs> have done 300 before, I'm pretty well, sure I think, you're good. You're I think good. the definition is if you get paid for you're it. Paid? I haven't gotten have paid. You been paid. No, oh, I right. haven't been paid. So that's all the right. definition of okay. professional versus amateur. Okay, that's fair. Soon. I I Soon. have this. We've, I've got a good feeling for you. I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate it. All right, cool. What do you think you're going to write about next? I don't know. I just wrote about Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes. And then her, I guess that's really topical now because she's going back to trial. Like she's mm -hmm. going to like her trials just starting now. So mm -hmm. that was fun. And also a radio station contacted me out of nowhere on Twitter and asked me to speak about that story. <laughs> fun. Yeah, so that's good. Cool. That's cool. What am I going to write about next? I haven't decided yet, to be quite honest. Like in all seriousness, I, Sunday morning, I'll figure out something and I'll you go, I'll go something. into the rabbit hole. It's because, again, these are not these like I'm not reinventing the wheel when it comes to these articles. For me, I think that there is uh, as for creators, I think that something that you can do, which I've done is throughout all the pieces that I've put out into the world is understanding someone else's story and unpacking it, providing context, and then teaching it to your audience in a way that's digestible for them. I think yeah. that there's some value in that because all of this information is out there. And like you said, even when you put out your podcast, like you, you sometimes it's a flash in the pan. It's like you spend six hours creating this content and all of a sudden it's forgotten. It's because there's so much information out there. And when there's so much information out there, we don't need any, it's always great to have great new information, but realistically we need context and we need clarity on that information so that it actually provides value to us. And there's so much noise. I think that what I do with interviewing people, for example, interviewing people, I'm not telling anything new. I'm interviewing their story and I'm pulling out insights from them in a way that is digestible and hopefully actionable to somebody who's listening. These articles are the same thing. These are not startups that no one's ever heard of. To be honest, if no one's ever heard of them, they probably don't have a ton of lessons that they could teach you anyways, because they're not that big. I'm trying yeah. to, I'm just trying to take a little bit of my career, take a little bit of my experience, 
find a great story and teach that over to somebody who is trying to start their own thing or wants a little bit of inspiration. And for me, that's, that's, that's what I'm trying to do. And that's why yeah. I just figure out a company, start mm-hmm. to do a little bit of research down the rabbit hole. See, I, I listen to a lot of interviews for these as well. So it's not just, it's not just like reading research. It's like listening to interviews mm-hmm. that the founders are doing because they'll drop some of their tips and some of their strategies and, a lot of that stuff is just lost in some of these yeah. interviews. So I try and bring that to, to my audience as well. Cool. What is your number one piece of advice for someone who is looking to use writing to build their personal brand? My biggest piece of advice is to just write, is to write as much as possible. Because the reason why a lot of people don't write is because they feel as though they have writer's block and they feel as though they're not creative. So if somebody wants to write, all you have to do is keep writing and eventually you will get good content. You will start to, you will start to, after you write a whole bunch of bad stuff, good stuff will start to come out. Also, I think it does help if you focus on topics that you're passionate about, because some of that passion will come through in your writing as well. But I think the best tip is, okay, so you want to use writing to reach your audience, um, time block, like four hours. Don't let yourself get up. Just focus on writing, shut off your phone. And after four hours, if you allow yourself to do nothing but write on a topic that you're passionate about, the end result of that four hour session will be something that I think will be valuable to your audience. I think that's something that I think people give up to easily, even when it comes to writing, because they just sit down, they don't know what to write, just start writing. And what will come out of that session will be something that's useful. And that could be the first iteration of your newsletter, whatever that thing is. And Mm -hmm. use that process to consistently write out content that's good enough to put out into the world. And then after you have a process to consistently create content that's acceptable, then you can focus on improving it and optimizing it and getting feedback from your audience and seeing if they like it. So yeah, that would be my tip. Okay. I love how you say that they only think they have writer's block. It's true. Yeah, it's true. It's it, it because people give up too easily or they say they mm-hmm. have writer's block before they even start trying to write. It's incredible what will happen when you actually start. I have writer's block, too, for the first, like, maybe five to ten minutes. But if you are distraction free, if you are just putting out content, if you are if you want to use a pen and paper, that's cool. I, like, I use a laptop. <laughs> but like the point is, if you actually start writing, you'll be very surprised at what starts Mm -hmm. coming out and words will start to flow Mm -hmm. and everything will start to get a little bit easier. Yeah. I think a key word that you said there too is acceptable, an acceptable level of content. Like just start. As long as it's acceptable, you can publish it. Go for it. Agreed. And wait, unless you're going to publish on Hacker Noon, then make it really good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I would say that somebody who is writing on Hacker Noon the type of content that Hacker Noon publishes is a little bit more technical sometimes, but I think people that are writing about that, they probably are more technical individuals that can speak to those types of topics. Mm-hmm. So I would argue that even if somebody who is a developer or an engineer or somebody that loves AI or blockchain or machine learning or robotics or any of like these super oh, like yeah. niche topics, like if they sit down and start writing some of the things that they've learned or they've done over the past week at their job, I would argue that's probably acceptable enough mm-hmm. for Hacker Noon. Yes, even. it is. Please do. And also it's like imposter syndrome too of like yeah. writing. Like I can't write about that. 
everybody knows way more about that than I do. But no, you can write about that because somebody is going to know less than you do. And and that's actually another point too. I think that content in general or writing, you know, it doesn't matter what you're trying to create. I think that when you document what you learn and you document your journey and you document the things that you have to learn, that alone could be great content. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like your journey to learning, it could be good yes. content. Yeah. I think so. Because if you're just documenting what you're dealing with on a day-to-day in, in, in an environment that's relevant to your audience, I think that alone is useful. There's times where I've just gone and then quick little, like I've never translated this into, into like actual like written content. Cause I try and be like a little bit more, like I have like a certain style that I like to do for my written content, mm-hmm. but I'll go on Instagram and I'll throw up like just like an Instagram story of me just talking about things that I was dealing with throughout the day and how I tried to come to some sort of conclusion as to how to deal with this problem or that problem or a, a thing that I picked up from one of the, someone on my team and how to deal with that problem in the workplace or a problem that I have with the customer or a leadership thing that I just thought about. It's just things mm-hmm. that I'm living. And that's hopefully stuff that if I'm experiencing it and I'm learning from it, that can be something that can, first of all, just help build a little bit of your brand and humanize you a little bit because you're also learning, but it'll also hopefully be helpful for even one person that sees it. And they'll be like, yeah, I thought about that particular problem. At some point in my career, I'm glad that Scott spoke to this. If he does a lot of stuff like this, I want to become part of his tribe. And that's how you build a tribe. You don't build a tribe only speaking to your Mm. community. You speak, you build a tribe as part of your community. And I think that if you have those moments where you aren't 100% perfect and you speak about the process and you speak about learning and you speak about growing as an individual on your own, I think that that helps build a tribe as well. Because it's not just me teaching everything. It's me trying to figure stuff out. Yeah. Yes, I love that. Okay, amazing. What a, what a beautiful note to end on. Okay, Scott, where can we find you and what you're working on online? You can find most everything. So I have a website, so scottdclary.com. You can also find me on social and any social is at scottdclary. If you want to, if you want to check out my writing, hit up Hacker Noon. I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm at scottdclary on Hacker Noon as well. I tried to make it the same across everything. So you yep. can find all my business case studies on Hacker Noon there. Or if you want to just connect with me on social, yeah at Scott DeClary anywhere. Amazing. I will put all those links in the show notes. Thank you very much, Scott, for joining the Hacker Noon podcast. Thanks for having me. If you like this episode of the Hacker Noon podcast, don't forget to like it, share it, subscribe it, do all the things. I love you guys so much. And also you can find Hacker Noon on socials as well. LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Hacker Noon. Connect with us. We love you. Anyways, Stay weird, and I'll see you on the internet. Bye-bye. Afternoon podcast.